farming, agricultural chemicals, connection to land, whether you live in the city or in the country, psychology, giving young people purpose, and so much more in today's episode on The Lotox Life. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 280 with farmer David McFall joining me on the show. Now, I came across David's work because he reached out after having come across my first book, Lotox Life, uh, and he felt that the principles that I addressed in terms of having a holistic view of how we make people and the planet healthier really interesting and worthwhile discussing together, uh, which was a really lovely, unexpected email that I received in my inbox. And when I found out David was a biodynamic farmer, but not only that, uh, someone who had studied psychology, who had worked with at-risk youths, uh, and who had some really sound uh, ideas on how we can drive change for people and planet um, and for farmers in terms of viability, uh, not only financially, but of course, uh, tending to landscape. Uh, I knew we had to have a chat on the show and I wasn't wrong. It's a long one. It's an hour and a half, but that gives you all the more time to take some time out for yourself, pour a cuppa, go for a walk, get all your laundry folded, whatever it is you fancy doing, or maybe you're on a beautiful big long commute or drive to visit a friend. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this one as we explore his own personal journey into becoming a biodynamic farmer and uh, looking at how something as simple as cover crops can radically improve the landscape from biodiversity and water retention perspective um, and uh, so much more. So we talk about the dangers of agricultural chemicals. Uh, we have a look at what we can do instead. We talk about innovation, technology, uh, how to even <laughs> figure out a way to vote in an effective way for our planet when so many different people, especially the corporatization of the climate change uh, conversation is happening and it be can become really confusing how you do the right thing these days. So uh, it's a fascinating chat. David's a wonderful man and I know you guys are going to enjoy this. So I'm going to hook into that in a little minute. I want to remind you that this month's Special sponsor of the show, thank you, Walida, is joining us again. 20% uh, off their range, uh, and you have that with the code Walida April. Walida.com.au, yes, this is one for Aussies, and this is valid through to the 7th of May. So you've got a bit of extra time this month to make the most of this. Uh, they are donating every day in April and May $2 from every skin food purchase to Carbon 8. Now, if you haven't heard of Carbon 8, they are a not-for-profit that help Aussie farmers transition to regenerative agriculture and support them to rebuild the carbon, organic matter, in their soil from 1% with a goal of 8%. Now, the environmental impact of doing something like that is 
so, so crazy good, so beneficial. Uh, We can become a carbon sequestration machine in this country uh, if we can get more and more farmers on board. And that is the work that Carbonate is doing and the work that Walida is doing in selling skin food this month is going towards that work. So it is a triple win in my opinion. And, uh, and just an incredible, um, thing to, to be a part of, you know, you buy your skincare, you save the planet, uh, how much easier does it get? So I know a lot of you guys love skin food. They also have the new skin food body lotion, uh, and, uh, an amazing thing that we're doing this year is investing an additional 1% of sales into climate protection, biodiversity and soil conservation as a company. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people like, oh, you know, they're big. I want to go with something small, local. I get that. But when you have a pioneering brand like Walida able to achieve the difference that they can with their 1% going towards climate protection, biodiversity and soil conservation, not to mention the fact that the way they do business already with their UEBT certification is doing that from the ground up with every farming exchange of raw materials that they have. Um, it's pretty exciting stuff. So 20% off and your code is Walida April to get that 20% off. A big thank you to our major sponsor, of course, Oz Climate. You have 10% off all year round. They're incredible air filters and dehumidifiers with the code LOTOXLIFE. That's it from our sponsors. Let's jump into this fantastic conversation with David McFall on biodynamic farming and so much more. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, David. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. I'm very, very happy to have this conversation. I was just thinking to myself this morning, whenever I've got a recording with a farmer on uh, my schedule, I know I'm going to just come away feeling so good. Uh, Well, especially because of the types of farmers I chat to on the show, (laughs) Um, tend to be very pro-people, pro-planet and do that from a very deep and meaningful place. Uh, yes. and, uh, and I know that's what you do, but the first thing I want to ask you is, which I ask all farmers, uh, always a farmer or born again, did you discover the land, uh, or were you a, a generational, oh, this is what my, my parents did. So now I'm doing it. Uh, technically not always. Cause I was actually born in a mining town, but, um, the, the connection back to the farm is very early in childhood. Cause my, my lineage through mum was back to the land, being the Davises. Uh, my father was an immigrant from Ireland, and that's the McFall part. Um, and so they got together and there was an opportunity early in the 60s uh, for them to take up a, a, a part, a share of the partnership, the original partnership that was dissolving, that actually developed the farm. The farm's called Temple Farm, and um, quite an interesting naming um, position, but it was based around my great-grandfather, who was a very philosophical, um, you would say a socialist, very keen on humanities and organisation of communities. So, um, so yeah, we came onto Temple Farm and um, since then I've been an in-and-out farmer because I've done very various things, um, but mostly always centred around advancing agricultural systems or managing the landscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... You're interested in a few more things than farming. We were having a chat just before hitting record 
and uh, I find it interesting that you're therefore interested in biodynamics because we know Steiner, Rudolf Steiner, I talk about him in my second book, um, was very interested in education and medicine as well as agriculture. What are your other interests? Well, I, I, yeah, apart from the classic um, sport, but um, I'm very interested in the cultural side. You know, agriculture as a word is very interesting in itself. It's agri and culture. And mm. um, um, the cultural side is about free expression. Now, I've got a philosophy um, in life that um, I'd like to be a, 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 you know, a free-living farmer on a free-living farm. Um and bring out all the beauty in, in the expression and there. So that encompasses writing, that encompasses art, uh, conversation, uh, networking, having um, gatherings, um, exchanging ideas, um, having to confront things that are, you know, obviously not in your quarter, but have to be, um, have to be kind of, you know, uh, discussed because mm. people have other ideas and, um, the world is a fruit salad, and we've got to, <laughs> we've got to accept that. And uh, but I, I do like um, through art and um, writings um, bringing out the philosophical side of my interest in life, and that's where obviously Steiner has a heavy influence. And Steiner was influenced himself by philosophers like Goethe and things like that. And that's where you, know, you get the Gordianum in mm. Dornach, which I was lucky to visit. Um, to experience um, some of his, um, over his art and education uh, was also his architecture, mm -hmm. you know, that sculptural form. And you see that once you start honing in on these things, you see that replicated in nature. And I can see the connection between Steiner and nature now because that particular art sculptural form is um, all around us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, was going to Guadiana uh, early in your farming piece or was it more of a consolidation um, of what you already appreciated? It was, um, the chance was early 90s. We actually, um, my evolution was a traditional education, uh, eventually going to an ag college and, um, you know, deciding to take a slightly different pathway from graduating. Back then, ag colleges were schools for dumb kids or, you know, farmers' kids, um, all male, no females at that stage. It's all changed up a lot now. But, um, you know, there's equality and access in terms of getting onto the farm, which is great. Uh, but there was an opportunity for me to actually go on to higher study. So I ended up in university um, studying philosophy, um, which is the closest I can get to humanities, but I, I didn't realise there was a lot of maths in 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 um, psychology, sorry, and um, and so I struggled and I wasn't really <laughs> had my heart in it. I was just there for the experience, so I actually dropped out, went back to the farm, ended up going travelling um, over overseas, um, had a, a number of inspirational influences, I guess. There, meeting people, seeing things slightly differently, experiencing different cultures, particularly third world culture. When I went to Egypt, um, and that kind of, kind of ramified when I came back. There was little seeds sown early about little bits of readings you do here and there, and I actually got really interested in biodynamics mm. um, because it seemed to be a lot more of a complete picture 
about what is really going on. And also the mastery, um, not, I'm not, I don't say that derogatively, man, uh, humanity should, is never in a position to master anything, um, but a choice, I guess. Um, but there was actually uh, a way forward that I felt that farming should take that was uh, kind to the environment, kind to the actual operators of the system, because a lot of farmers back in those early 80s were getting poisoned themselves. Mm. With all the introduction of these new way, ways of farming, no one thought about the poor old farmer. Um, um, yeah, and, you hear horror stories of farmers having to close themselves inside their houses oh, to spray the herbicide that McDonald's specifically requires <laughs> so that the black dots don't end up on the potatoes so that you get full uniformity. It's a oh, nightmare. Um, yeah, if we can talk about toxicology later, I'd love to. Yeah. Um, yeah, if it was bad then, it's really bad now. Mm. It's really bad because we're talking volume um, of product. We're talking a absenteeism of ownership on the land, a lack of care about the land because it's you know it's someone sitting in a boardroom over in America. How do they how do they care about a community in Australia? And so yeah. there's it's all. Um, but yeah, back to Steiner. So um, so Steiner had a bit a balance of individuality and. And the relationship to the land, and and we'll get talking hopefully about indigenising agriculture because it it's it's kind of comes through in that uh, that theme for me. So amazing man, um, and I, I do to be honest, I do see a need to uh, refine biodynamics to suit geo regions or bio regions. Well, that's uh, where the word culture within agriculture mm. comes in, surely. Uh, and that's probably yes. one of the issues with agriculture today is that you have the uh, the teaching of one way or the highway in, in institutions and yes. often quite uniform around the world, which makes no sense when you think about topography, climate, uh, seasons. Uh, yes. Gosh, yeah. makes and no sense. And it's... Um, and that all gets um, streamlined. It all gets dumbed down a little bit. And unfortunately, the, the, the style of teaching now is very prescriptive, uh, particularly in these ag colleges. You will not see a very heavy emphasis on regenerative. You'll, you'll see um, a very capitalistic return kind of model. You know, mm. you've got um, so much rain. If you add X, Y, Z, it's be like baking a cake now. It's, it's, yeah. That, so that intuitive um, feeling about the land, that um, the ability to observe and notice rhythms and little nuances uh, is something you kind of develop over time, but it's, it's I would dare say that it's, it's not really spoken about at an ag college level, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's more about so many units of this and so many liters of that and blah blah and but nothing's nothing's kind of uh, fatalistic forever. It's just a matter of sowing the seeds again and um, the rise of the regenerative thinking, the rise of the community concern about food safety, trusted food, um, care for animals, uh, ethics and agriculture. Um, is 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 creating a is a great opportunity for agriculture to remodel itself and 
and get a little bit more mainstream and don't be this, you know, think that they should do what they do forever and everybody else has got to swallow it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and so in terms of um, indigenization, I think that's an interesting word, um, also conscious that we're two white people speaking on country. Well, uh, and... Um, uh, pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging uh, as mm. we go into talking about this. But I think it's really mm. important too because we have to acknowledge that the, um, that the way that we've taken the over-intellectualisation, the disconnection from natural systems mm. has led us down an unfortunate path. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's I guess it's a... It's a position you get to when you have a colonising approach to things. Mm. You you see something and you want to you want to shape that to what your comfort or belief is. And yeah, I think over a couple of hundred years we should kind of rethink the model because uh, Australia is very different. And when I the term indigenised, when I uh, in yeah we're on um, former Katiang country here, which is the Noongar peoples. Um, is to bring is to bring their culture and their understanding and their expression or relationship to the land into a, into a, a mainstream system. Mm. It's not it's not to completely replace it. We can't. We have to. It's it's a bit like a, we're in a very unique position with our intelligence and our knowledge, our learning, to actually recreate a system that can go forward for the next. 100, 200 years that's very inclusive, uh, very innovative, recognises that land land is, is more than just um, a platform for, you know, capital return. Land, land is actually yeah. part, of, part of you and you're part of it. So and it's, it's a responsibility. Absolutely, for all those who do um, have the privilege of land, whether it's even your backyard, even your front verge, that may not even be yours, mm. but if you walk past it, you have to um, relate to that and take on a responsibility. And this is very important for urban people because um, unfortunately a lot of urban people aren't as strongly connected um, through family connections now to a farmer. or um, But you do see a trend where a lot of urban people still have this drive in them to um, access land and so the rise of the small landowner is actually quite large and so there's there's a huge responsibility for people to to yeah just shift um their their thinking from no this this land is it's not here for me i'm actually here for it mm. and and understand its rhythms as other cultures did evolved over many you know thousands of years and 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 just look at this country and and yeah, it is a dry continent um in wa here we farm on the old yilgarm plate which is eroded down but it's four billion years old mm. it's part of the old gondwana um supercontinent and um you know technically impoverished technically dry but still very abundant and and when you look at what pre-existed, which is very much uh, woodlands around here, I'm in the uh, great southern of Western Australia, um, 
in a lovely place called Cherry Tree Pool. Lovely naming. Oh, that's a great name. And, and Cherry Tree Pool is land that's farmed around a river system, and the cherry tree is the English version of the native Kwangdong. Mm-hmm. So here we have yeah. potential new land use options. So when I say indigenising, it is looking at the the wealth of botanical resources that could also be incorporated into a farm system, mm. which is what we do here. We have um, acacia seeds. You know, I play around with a little bit of Kwangdong. Um, there's some other farmers in the area that are progressing the um, native salt bushes and things like that. So, And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Once we start going into the pharmaceutical benefits of some of these plants, we can have whole new industries um, growing these shrubby plants, um, stabilising our, our earth, um, in ultimately not requiring a lot of high input. And uh, we've got a completely new, refreshed future by just bringing, acknowledging um, some, of the, you know, some of the assets, so to speak, that we're actually standing on but not really fully utilising. Mm. And... It's so easy to have a conversation about knowing what the right thing to do would be. Um, and But then do you ever get really disheartened about the state of things and the state of the mainstream conversation, either political or in the media? Uh, never seems to amaze me how very smart people do very dumb things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And, look, uh, we... Um, Look, I wouldn't say it's disheartened. I, I, there was probably a point in my life where I I got disheartened, and, um, and that's because you you know you you see something differently. You, you see a need for change, and it, when, once once you see that everything is different, and uh, and some people don't see it, so you get a little bit frustrated, you know. And certainly, you get frustrated when you're very young because you want to make your way. Mm. And you get a bit frustrated when you get older because you've kind of had that experience and you want people to listen. It's like, yeah. for God's sake, I've, I've done that mistake. You mm. know, do not go there. But yet and all, the, um, the, the wheels turn very slowly when it comes to policy and putting money where money should be or, or, or correcting some of our values over things. So, you know, food is priceless. Land is priceless. Fresh air is priceless. Mm. Water is priceless. But we treat it with such disregard that it's always going to be there and we're in for a bit of a wake-up because it's mm. not. No. And we start to see the world reconfigured. Right now, you know, we've got food, water and energy security and, and, and we have solutions to that by going back to biology and seeing what the gift of biology gives us. You know, we are an assembly of biology after all, and mm. um, we'll go back to that system and it'll be given off to something else in good time. But, um, you know, I've, one of my great career uh, that's associated with farming, I've never been uh, always farming. I went off and did some bioenergy work with um, trying to get new industries around um, the bioeconomy, biofuels, bioplastics, because I can see that. The, the, the real problem we have, and this is where agriculture's got to put its hand up and say, look, we've, 
we've strived to put food on the table, but what we've done, we've actually created a few problems. And one of those is with the drying climate in WA, 60% of our drying climate is because we cleared the trees. Mm. Yeah, no land cover. If you want food under one model, which is the European kind of model, it means clearing the trees. Now, mm-hmm. we can get food by not clearing the trees because some of the trees can provide food. So, And this is where we come back to that uh, indigenising our thinking and our operations because we can have the best of both worlds. We can get our landscape looking like what it did prior to um, colonisation, which was a covered landscape, very stable, uh, cycling nutrients, cycling water. Um, Sequestering carbon sequestering carbon, uh, full of life and vitality. And um, we can take that lesson and the functionality is right there. That, the model's there. Every day we wake up, I see it. That's the model. That's the model. If you want to talk about um, thousands of years of farming, like the Chinese, they talk about, um, you know, the 40 centuries of farming. If we want to talk about doing that in Australia, we have to change our trajectory and our operational thinking mm. and to bring those other elements in to stabilize our our natural resources and to better manage our natural resources so. yeah it's very heartening to see a lot of farmers starting to realize that these biodynamic systems silvo pasture is another one that i can think of yeah. where you're starting to bring animals into fruit tree orchard farming and like in lots of different levels of plants from shrubs to herbs yeah. to, you know, right up to um, taller trees and then mm. what's growing underneath in those shady parts. Um, it's actually like for me it's deeply comforting to read that it exists and I, I can only put that down to as a city chick who doesn't live mm. on the land, I can only put it down to just it feeling right, knowing that that's how food is made. Yes. Well, that, I, that I'm then seeking out <clears throat> buying and it feels right to then actively spend dollars to promote those systems and those farmers making these big changes. Yeah, we have to mainstream it. Uh, it is our intuitive, um, it's in our DNA that we are people of the forest mm. largely and yeah when you when you go back and we've got uh, we've recreated a microclimate kind of system here with our water strategies and tree plantings and and when you go into those zones uh you do experience a, a completely different sensation you you know in uh, very cool for a start we are experiencing some quite hot summers um so you get relief and you you get an appreciation of that um, and it's all doable and it's it's something that obviously uh, needs to be elevated as uh, in terms of funding cycles, in terms of policy support and things like that. And it's I always think of a monkey that, um, you know, you put a banana in a cage and the monkey wants the banana and puts its hand in it. It doesn't want to let go of the banana, but it can't get its hand out. Mm. This, is what we're, this is what we're stuck with. Um, we've got to let go a little bit of some old ideology and call on these these vested companies that are largely controlling the direction of agriculture. You can do business in the renewables. You can do business in the, the clean space. We don't need these toxins to this level. 
Mm. Um, we, we've just got to find a different um, business model and different product inputs and because uh, you can't have you can't have um, real food if it's made out of synthetic products, you know, to be honest. Let's call it for what it is. Yeah. Um, regenerative is a concept. It's a principle. Uh, it, it is uh, very loosely applied, unfortunately, and I, I fear for the consumer getting very confused over what's going on. And, mm-hmm. um, and I guess if you're a consumer listening to this, it's like please be patient with us because... Um, I wouldn't say it's a battle, but there is there is some um, very active discussion about all these principles in agriculture, and there's a lot of pushback. Yeah. Um, and the, but there's a lot of people that are doing some really good things, and um, please get behind those um, those farmers, support them at the marketplace, support them um, politically by you know, talking to your local member that we need more city support back to rural people doing the a good job so they can do a good job better and um it's, i guess it's reconnecting um because the city's important for us um that is the market and it's the where the eaters are for the most part yeah well yeah, yeah. and that's you know that's the reality uh we're in australia even globally it's a highly urbanized world and um the market is in the pockets of uh people in those urban areas and if if they start and this is where their power is and it, it's i really encourage people to make more discerning choices um and to um encourage placement of um healthier product on those shelves and it may be a little bit more expensive but once once it becomes mainstream um the price will become a lot more affordable um, and this is a challenge of organics, I guess. I'm a certified organic operator. Mm. I w- I'm heavily involved in an organic growers group, um, which is also very inclusive to consumers and the value chain. And, um, yeah, we, we don't want to see ourselves priced out of the market. We want to see our food affordable and consumed and enjoyed. And um, and when once there's more operators putting... You know, it's, once again, this is the old supply and demand economic model. Um, you know, you'll find that um, we can we can have very high quality food, nutrient dense, but also very uh, this concept of vitality. This is where the biodynamics has really the edge. It has a you know you have your clunky stuff like your minerals and enzymes, but you have this other thing that's in there. That's the energetic side of food, particularly mm-hmm. when it's it's fresh and delivered um, and eaten. It has an enlivening um, influence on your body, and and there could be more of that on the shelves, very affordable, um, ready to eat, um, and to get a century pleasure from. Um, if we can get more people in the game, um, get some of the conventional guys to swing over, and uh, yeah, it's going to take a while, but um, it is the future, it's, and um, I'm looking forward to being part of that while I can. Yeah, brilliant. And I I often think about um, the biggest change. I get asked a lot when I'm interviewed on shows, what's the biggest change we could make today? And for me, gosh, just moving from product-based shopping baskets and trolleys to produce-based is the number one. Then the journey is to upgrade your sourcing, of course. But if we could just step away from the product-heavy eating 
Um, there's just so many things that we solve by ditching packet like ultra processed packaged foods mm. because you have the raw materials often not grown in an optimal state, lots of monoculture, lots of agricultural mm. chemicals, which we'll go into in a sec. But then you have the shipping and transportation of those mineral um, yeah. materials to the factories. And then you have them being highly processed into funny shapes and all mm. sorts of flavours with a whole bunch of other chemical uh, stuff brought in, often petroleum-based. Uh, mm. And then you get it packaged in soft plastics, so you have the hormone disruption aspect. Then you have the cardboard, so that's the trees being mm. chopped down aspect. And then you have more shipping into a highly uh, floodlit supermarket environment Mm. that we all drive our cars to to pick it all up and drive it home. And then mm. the goal of modern society to waste a fifth of it. I mean, it has <laughs> got to be the most horrific expenditure of energy uh, for the least amount of gain of uh, anything. It's yeah. crazy to me that we could yeah. all be duped into this normalisation of 60% of the shopping trolley being these sorts of foods. Yeah, you got to wonder uh, this economic re um, rationality of of sustaining a system like that because if you, if you look at um, you know energy energy drives everything on this on this planet and um, and everything uh, is geared towards energy efficiency and along comes humans and they've just um, they're just Earth eaters, really. Mm. <laughs> we're, we're eating the earth. We're eating it, all its energy. We're just wasteful. Um, and you talk about a fifth of waste. Well, that's, you know, I guess fridges are one of our worst enemies there. Um, yeah. Such a hoarding contraption. But the other side of the waste is farmers produce a lot of produce, but they can't get it to market. Now, obviously, mm. Australia is a limited market. Um, but there's so much good food that's just left the rot on the, on the floor. Uh, they either can't get it picked, nobody wants it because it's got a little blemish. Um, I was on a, a thing about um, the other day, uh, an, an avocado grower saying, an organic one, saying that you know, if it's got one little blemish, the market doesn't want it. And they're working so hard to re-culture people to say it's okay, it's just a... It's just a little compression mark because the the bunches of avocados rub together. Yeah. And um, a lot of people don't realise where psychologically those blemishes got imprinted in our brains as to being something bad and that that food yes. is wrong. But yeah. do, you, do you know the story of Escoffier, the French chef? No, no, please share. Yeah. So Escoffier was the opening chef of the Ritz Paris which by all definitions is the most luxurious hotel in the world um, mm -hmm. and it was really the benchmark of luxury uh, and um, they, they commissioned him to produce food like the world had never seen before and so mm. he was the one that created these techniques of fashioning vegetables into perfect forms without blemish. Mm and stunning looking, you know, so that farmhouse rustic way that the world had eaten up until that point 
all of a sudden you became a person of discernment and uh, class right. if you yes. were if you were able to access that kind of cooking or if you at mm. home were able to start teaching your your cook at home how to cook like that and you'd serve so people in high society would then serve their guests food that looked like the mm. food that Escoffier served. Mm. And so I remember being a little girl and seeing my mum painstakingly remove every little brown thing from every banana, um, <laughs> cutting oh. the edges off vegetables yeah. like a, a good inch off each side. And yeah. that's not because she's stupid. <laughs> she was an amazing yeah. mum and cook. Uh, but it's because culturally it became frowned upon um, yeah. to eat that stuff. Someone who is well-to-do doesn't need to lower themselves to those mm. standards. And I think that's fascinating how then the uniformity and perfection translated into the supermarket and grocer space mm. into consumers now thinking something's dirty or off if it has a tiny little spot. And it's yeah, it's really interesting. But, you know, we can't move forward unless we know the root reasons why you end up, because you can examine that story and go, oh, is that why? Well, yeah. that's a bit silly. And then you can actually change behaviour because you have a deep understanding of why it wasn't such a great idea in the first place. Mm. Yes, yeah. Now that's interesting. Well, the French do have a habit of getting very particular about a thing. You know, they, they tend to Take 10 words to say one. <laughs> As a half Frenchie, I can fully attest to that being the truth. Yeah. But, uh, you got to love, right. love the passion and creativity. And, uh, yeah, I've had the pleasure of visiting that country. Um, but, yeah, and look, it's, and I guess this is the art of marketing. They know psychologically where people's fear and guilt lies and they can manipulate that by putting fear about health you know connotating uh if it's not perfect it's it's going to be it's full of bacteria or something like that it's going to and this is um you know obviously with covid um there's a lot of there's a lot of support for covid recovery at a financial business level but it's not a lot of investment into um you know you know boosting the immune system and mm. about understanding the relationship between what you eat and what you are and how you can ride out. It's um, heartbreaking. We've had two years to discuss that. And unfortunately, um, people have been removed from the public sphere of conversation for the, for the reason of actually talking about that as if it was anti-vaccine to talk about yes. vitamin D and zinc levels. And it's yes. done public health officials no favours to take that road of there's only one way to get through this mm. because life is nuanced and there are a lot of tools to put in your kit, Yes, uh, vaccination being one of them, but so is vitamin D and zinc. It's no less important to talk about, if, especially mm. as we found, found out in Europe, most people are deficient and these mm. basic nutrients help us do better against viruses. So. Yeah. I, yeah, I fully agree. What yeah. we need is a nuanced conversation and we seem unallowed to have one. Mm. Yes, because, mm. you know, our, our bodies are amazing, really, and um, the more we learn about them and the relationship between the beneficial, you know, our gut biome and mm. things, um, the more exciting that world is as well. Um, but, yeah, this, the, I think, um, 
you know, there needs to be uh, a, a reorientation there as well. There's so much to be done, Alex. So it's, there it's, is. Uh, there oh is. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we tend to get to this point halfway through these sorts of conversations where it's like, oh, crap, how are we going to bring this baby home with some positivity? But we can. Well, and yeah, I, well. We absolutely can. So I want to ask you. <laughs> sorry. No, you say. You say. Oh, well, I was just going to say on that, uh, it's very important for us to instill a sense of um, future and hope in in, in youth and mm. um because, yeah, it is a lot of confronting things, you know, climate change and, you know, geopolitical instability and affordability of a house and, oh, where, where do we go? You know, we don't want to lose our youth because they are our future and uh, we've got to feed them well so they think well and mm. um, and uh, we can point to the solutions. But at the end of the day, they've got to come up with the technology and the creativity to make this um, a better a better planet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. Okay, given about a lot of what's, um, what's not so great, <laughs> I'd love yeah. to actually talk about something quite magical because mm. often the eater doesn't really understand the power of healthy soil. Yes. And just what healthy soil actually is, mm. uh, which I think will then give us a segue into, I mean, maybe we could talk about what's, so unhealthy about the way we've been farming first uh, and why that's ended us up with these disastrous um, media reports of 60 years of topsoil left around the world. And, um, you know, that's enough to make someone a little bit scared. But if we can actually inspect why that's happened Mm. and then talk about how we can actually nurture soil back to life, then that's a really positive story, right? Absolutely. And uh, it's remarkable how the system can recover. And for those who, who go down the regenerative um, journey, um, <clears throat> this is concept of this exponential change. And once you start getting that momentum rolling your way, so to speak, you, you, you know, this is not a, um, it's not a hard thing. It's, mm. it's the, a journey is all about the first step sometimes, and um, once you, you you take that direction, things unfold when they need to. Um, you've got the benefit of networking with others who've gone and gone before you, and there's always someone who's gone before you, and, and this is what I like um, about reading and um, old texts, textbooks and things. Um, yeah, even going back to some of the you know, the ancient cultures, how they approach these needs and um, bring it forward. But the, the golden, the magic of soil, look, that is, um, uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a, a, you know, there's magic all around, but there's this, the, this relationship between soil, plants, biology, hydrology is, uh, if you go out into your backyard and dig, dig a hole, have a smell of that and, you get a sense of uh, a completely new universe that's going on. It's gone on for eons. Uh, it'll go on whether humans are here or not. Uh, but it's very, it's, it's very simple in design in one respect, but complicated in function and uh, way more complicated than we're ever, ever going to feel. But we have little insights to it. And Steiner is, is, is one person who bought uh, a, a way of seeing into nature. Um, but there's also um, 
science is now understanding a whole new realm of biology called quantum biology, the, the micro world, what's mm. going on. Um, yeah, and, and plants are, are the mastery. They are the interface between the universe and the earth. Um, and through the, the gift of photosynthesis, thank God for that. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good uh, stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Gosh, never under, underestimate that. Um, not only giving us energy, but giving us oxygen. Um, they had this, uh, this, this merry dance. Uh, it's all about exchange. And this is, uh, this is a really good principle for us when we're rewriting our economic model. It's where we put our values. And, and if we put out a lot of things on exchange, you know, um, care for common good and um, equality, accessibility, uh, we look no further than what a plant does. It, it puts its roots down into the soil. Um, the growing tip of the root is, is, is like that's the rhizosphere. That's where the rubber hits the road. And a lot of your growth comes from that one or two millimetres, that interface between the plant root and the soil and the biology, biological um, wealth that's in that soil. So you've got your bacteria and your fungi and and the plants are very intelligent. Um, we, we've kind of dumbed them down. We think we can just throw on a bit of nitrogen, a bit of phosphorus, and a bit of this and a bit of that, and the plant's going to be happy. But that's a liquid delivery system. But plants actually feed very differently. They, they feed like we do. Um, we are very much like them, but inside out. Um, and they have this thing called rhizophagy where their roots when they grow they can actually evolve around solid particle matter and absorb that through and some of that solid particle matter is actually the microbes themselves because mm. um, the microbes in their life are accumulating resources because they've got they got bodies they they you know um and the the plant says thanks very much i'll eat you but i'm not going to I appreciate what you're giving, and in exchange, you know, I'm going to spit out the good bits, which is your DNA, and the micro reforms, and this. You, you, so you got this kind of fluid exchange system going on, and and then the intelligence of the plant, which is absolutely amazing. It's I always wondered. I I did twenty odd years develop uh, in the oil industry, trying to encourage farmers to reconfigure landscapes and put trees back in the landscape and potentially have an industry um, born out of this, which is, is, is now emerging, which is really quite exciting for biofuels particularly. Um, and always amazed me when I look at the chemical analysis of plants and trees, particularly eucalypts, and there's hundreds and hundreds of different chemical groups. Mm. You kind of wonder, well, why do they want all that? And it only really just dawned on me they've got this intelligence that they use all those particular chemical groups in a certain combination to communicate to a certain microbe that may be doing a certain function in the soil to bring a certain particular element that that microbe only kind of, you know, kind of has the ability to do back into the plant. So one day they wake up and they say, well, i you say they're coming up to flowering, so they might they might want some more fluorescence. They might want more phosphorus. So they put out this signal saying, "Well, look, all you bacteria that give me nitrogen, I, I don't need more leaf growth. <laughs> I want to put my energy into my seed, my next generation. I need phosphorus." 
and it communicates with all those lovely bacteria and fungis. Um, never underestimate um, beneficial fungi. It's, it, that is the, the amazing network. I'll talk about that a bit too. Um, and, and so they get this delivery system and in exchange, that microbe gets rewarded. It gets a bit of sugar. Um, everybody's happy. Now, when I say everybody happy, it's a, it's a cutthroat world. You know, there's a lot of competitions, like what's going on above the ground is like what's going on below. But generally, it's, it's a principle of I can't operate in isolation. Um, you know, it needs a village to raise a child kind of philosophy. And everybody's playing their part to advance life in a holistic manner, not an individualistic manner. And, and this is a real lesson for us as humans that we, if we go too far down this individualistic um, mentality of greed and um, competitive selfishness, and, and obviously we've got a lot of technology that advances that very quickly now, um, we are in for a huge shock. Mm. We're going to detach ourselves from ultimately our community and we're going to eventually detach ourselves from ourselves. Yeah. And, um, and, and that, you know, you see the rise of mental uh, anxiety and mental issues and stuff like that. And that's just a, that's a signal that we need to reorientate and get back to those fundamental principles of exchange. And, and if you want to um, kind of get grounded, take your shoes off, go out in the backyard, dig a hole, smell the soil, um, just lie there in peace and listen uh, and uh, you'll, you'll get a lot of therapy out of that. So, yeah, so, so the magic of the soil, this, this signalling arrangement, the capacity of plants is, is phenomenal. And once you start to uh, understand that, you, you start to reorientate a lot of your principles in life and, uh, and farming practice around that is, is how we as a farmer can kind of help advance those signals. Um, and also it, it also raises uh, a, the spectre of being able to farm without a heavy input of products, you know, a heavy application of, of volume of products because we, we, we're getting into this kind of realm of um, little tweaks and um, tinctures and things like that. Homeopathic people will understand this. Um, and, and so it's, it's quite exciting um, alternative way of farming it's 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 a little bit out there but it's um it, it's very powerful and um and I, I just want to bring in an example of you know once you become mindful of things once you show an intent to things everything tends to line up to support that position oh gosh now yeah this this is um now I've, I've read in your book you you touch on that you um, which is great because uh, what I do is not for everybody but we got to stick with the principles we we've we've got to go out there and and do our best and do no harm and that's on our fellow fellow people but also on our planet because uh, the planet provisions everything we we need as a as a species so it. Um, it's a very um, it's a very responsible position when you do have land to understand that and to do no harm. Um, 
And so these are pathways, future pathways, where we can farm very differently, innovatively, uh, at a very higher intuitive level and not be so behest with having to uh, sustain the drudgery and the toxicology that goes with farming systems now because we there's clearly other technologies, there's clearly other, um, there's a huge knowledge bank that's been since time immortal sitting there on how these these um, these little tweaks can be done, how you can put yourself as an individual into your system and the system will reward you based on your beliefs. So um, it's very hard to explain, but mm. it's, um, it's, it's, it's reality. The, um, the, the universe does reward um, based on your thought patterns and what you project. And so, so I'm, I'm out there projecting um, a peacefulness. I'm out there projecting a, um, you know, a, a relationship that's very deep and meaningful about, you know, and I'm very lucky. Um, but I'll, I'll have that. If I don't have the farm, I'll have that relationship by just going for a walk in the local park or something. You know, yeah. You don't have to have a farm to get connected. Um, yeah, and I think this is where um, a, a lot of people feel almost um, ashamed is too strong a word, but I think with a lot of people on uh, Instagram, amazing homesteaders who have gorgeous mm. properties and mm. uh, and uh, and are living on land and um, being great custodians and being really inspiring with everything they're sharing, you mm. almost feel like this undertone of city people who actually enjoy the city um, and like living in the city, almost like, oh, we're not doing sustainability right if we choose mm. the city or we're not connecting in the best possible way. Uh, and I think we have to toss away that that stuff yeah. that, that decides some people are not optimal in the way they live and other people are not because I think then it, we forget the overlaps that mm. we all share and the overlapping possibilities, no matter where you live, for people to connect and feel more integrated into yes. natural and, systems. And look, the, I guess the internet is one of those um, technologies on the upside that is can do amazing things at very low energy, mm. um, at an, a low energy exchange. Now, obviously, we're we're having a conversation now over the internet. Um, yeah. In the past, that would have been. Um, unfathomable um so and you, you're right and this is where we you know let let those a judge throw the first stone um everybody has a, a place everybody has a capacity to offer something um and um we've we've got to look look for that particular skill and give that um give that some oxygen and let that flourish because it's there's a lot of farmers that shouldn't be farming. They should be in the city. And mm. there's a lot of city folk, urban folk, that shouldn't be in the city. They should be in the country. <laughs> and, and do you base just, that on mentality and ways of thinking? Yes. Okay. And capacity. Because mm. um, one of the problems we have with farming is we, and quite a few of us, um, we're, we're trying to develop mechanisms to facilitate capacity because, you know, yeah, you know, I've I've got a property here, and I you know I personally would like to take this with my ideals and learnings, take it to a completely new stratospheric level uh, of engagement, um, scientifically and also personally 
you know, like a care farm, you know, engaging with all sorts of health, mental health, um, spiritual development, everything like that, because um, the the platform's here. But the capacity to do that is very limited because I, one, I'm, you know, one of one person here, um, you've obviously, um, there's capitalisation, there's energy that needs to sustain a, a direction. And and so the, the future um, to me is to engage more people and, and people with passion and capacity and um, perseverance because, you know, you've got to take the knocks. It, mm. you, know, you, you are dealing with environmental factors and, you know, gosh, there's another rainstorm over Lismore as we speak. I know. It's heartbreaking. Um, now, now, we've had floods but nothing like that. Um, mm. um, yeah, we've, we've had fires, we have, you know, storms and, and you get your knocks and it does, you just got to draw on a deeper strength and belief that this is all part of the learning. Um, you develop a, a, a buffering, a risk management kind of approach to kind of overcome those knocks um, because ultimately the, the promised land is, 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 is very, it glows with, um, you know, it glows with benefit and, you um, yeah, so I'm involved in an ecosystems or an eco stewardship um, farmer developed called Eco Credits. I don't know if many people know that one, but that's a mechanism where you've got a farmer who wants to do regenerative or, you know, advance um, doing good and you can connect with investors or ethical investors or just mums and dads and there's a pathway of providing support and then there's an exchange of ideas and there's potentially those people can come onto the property and, and enjoy the ambience and have a discussions like we are about the, you know, the, the valley of death and, you know, why don't people do this? Well, for some reason, uh, for good reason, a lot of people can't make those steps because they might be entrapped in a debt or uh, a, a cultural yeah, there's very little farmers now. We've lost 15,000 farmers in my time of farming, family farmers. We're down to probably about 4,000 farmers in Broadacre Farmers in WA. It's ridiculous. You know, wow. So uh, there were up to, there were around 20,000 and now there are well, only heaps, four? Heaps. In the, 70, in the 70s, there's probably you know, 20. I think in the 80s, there was 15,000. And now we're down to about 4,000. Wow. And is so, that a, a product of big corporate farming <clears throat> conglomerates buying up smaller properties? Or uh, what do well, you attribute it to? Absolutely. That's, uh, you attribute it to our, 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 our kind of approach to economics and um, Western culture that um, more is better. Mm. And, and obviously it's placement of... Um, enterprise we've got a very undynamic uh, enterprise mix we need more uh, diversity and this is another key lesson uh, uh, the strength of this planet and the strength of the bush that sits outside this house is it in its diversity mm. and um, unfortunately uh, there hasn't been enough diversity in enterprise for farmers for those smaller farmers to continue on being small farmers and carers of land and, you know, and they've been, you know, whittled out or turfed off um, uh, 
um, a lot of institutions had this get big, get out mentality. Um, we now have, you know, uh, absentee ownership. So you've got, you, you've got a very complex, um, wicked problem to kind of resolve and um, hopefully indigenising, um, creating new enterprises out of our, our strengths, our botanical strengths and our essences and food flavours could reverse those trends, um, bring people back. And that's where you see the small, the opportunity for small landowners, people with capacity, uh, professional people who, you know, done well, uh, or conglomerates of people who go and share, buy a farm or a, a plot somewhere, they can start doing these enterprises and be commercial there. So, um, but look, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge issue. It's a Western cultural thing. Um, it's, it's a symptom of our the way we relate to land. We see it as an asset. Uh, we, we, we don't see the other values of keeping people on the land uh, or keeping communities vibrant. Catanning's like mm. a local um, community. It's a regional town, but you can't have it. There's no maternity service for, for women out of Catanning. It's a huge regional hospital, but it's ridiculous. That's um, so how does that encourage people? to come into a regional community if you're not offering basic health standards. So yeah, um, and I'd imagine cultural education as well, something really interesting. I went to a fantastic mm-hmm. um, choral performance on the weekend with a girlfriend and uh, it was the the whole basis of this uh, charity, um, the house that Dan built. Uh, Danielle is an incredible artist and composer herself and she was desperate to include regional girls in Um, singing mm. and uh, learning songwriting and just giving them access, a choice, right? And uh, and it was incredible what these girls, you know, from all over these remote, remote places said when she first went out and started running these workshops. They had never been to a music class in their entire lives. Yeah. Uh, and I think this disconnection is really tragic in regional, I mean, you know, and disconnection from availability of services is another. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it kind of highlights something <laughs> that I've been thinking about since, like what else don't they have and why not? Um, it's all, yeah. 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 So it's um, the, the thing that, that it's, when you're talking about the house that Dan built, it's she she's created a, a safe environment where you can express that that talent or that emotion. Yeah. And and there's a, there's an enormous amount of talent everywhere, everywhere, everywhere you look. Uh, but it hasn't. It's not given airtime. It's not given a safe environment to be freely expressed. Now, you know, um, I might be a farmer, but I'm also a philosopher and um, an artist and a, a, a cultural critic and whatever. Because um, I, I choose to hang around with people that share my thoughts or give me airtime, and and even those that don't, I'm, I'm bold and you know bold enough now to and old enough to say, oh heck, damn it, I'm just gonna jump in there with a different comment and see what you think. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, have yeah. a look at it, have a look at it from this perspective, and it's. Um, yeah, so I, I guess we've, as a society, we've matured in the sense we are 
tolerant of different opinions and choices, but we, we seem to also be countercultural now that we are um, subscribing to a lot of fear and guilt and not wanting to move fast on areas that are obvious. You know, climate change is a huge one. Um, toxicology in our society and our, in our environments is another one, not, whether in your house, in your car, in a farm system. Mm. Um, the, these are these are very dangerous products, and we we've we've got to come to grips with um, foreseeing uh, a future that's going to be very awkward if we continue down this trajectory. Awkward for uh, um, getting production, um, yeah. but also you know massively taxing on society, managing health. You know the the, the health component of our budget is is enormous. I think the budget's out today. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> Uh, oh, well, you know, we know that 30% of all disease is directly attributed to diet, so there's that. Yeah, and, and these uh, are all largely lifestyle things that could be circumvented. Mm. Well, and we know with farmers, uh, you guys have been up close and personal with the effects of toxins through agricultural toxins. Absolutely. I've, 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 look, I, I'd be bold enough to say I've, I've lost people, friends, because of, um, farm-related contamination. I know people that are seriously in, inflicted, seriously inflicted because of chemicals. I've sat down and interviewed or discussed, uh, I always remember, I'll share this one, because um, this is very, I guess, very important for young mothers that food choices do make a difference because insecticides are a huge issue. And mm -hmm. I sat down with this farmer talking about trees on their farm and it's around the kitchen table and he's, I had the farmer and I had the wife and she said, we'd got talking about the neighbours and she said, yeah, <clears throat> our relationships are a bit strained because <clears throat> there was a time when I was pregnant and he put his plane over my house, sprayed, and I aborted the next day. Oh. And I said, my goodness, you know, raw emotional cause and effect, bang, right there. And this is going on. That's the human body screaming, this yeah. is not a safe environment to grow a human life. Absolutely. Eject. And these, yeah. these um, look, we talk about um, alcohol fetal syndrome. We talk about drug fetal syndrome. We've got to talk about chemical fetal syndrome, seriously. Mm -hmm. We've got to elevate this as an area of concern because... Once you start getting into the um, that delicate micro world and the brilliance of it all, uh, the, even the parts per billion, these substances are having huge impacts on cognitive function and things like that. And you know um, what the mother eats goes into you know through the into the into the the, the unborn child and. And so it's, it's an area that we'd like to really raise conversation over. It's an area <clears throat> obviously we'd like to engage with um, young mothers or um, um, you know, prenatal um, or you know, child rearing to find ways about accessing good food, affordable, um, just trying to, you know, not, we can understand, you know, people can't shift massively, but you can make a choice all my greens are going to be all say organic you know i'll just make a choice on that range of food or my bread milk whatever mm. uh, and just start by 
you know, putting some really solid, valuable food on the table and get away from the fake food and, um, and, and uh, in, in enjoy rearing a child with a bright mind and an active body. And, um, you know, this is, this is the real challenge. And farmers, farmers have to see their, their role in that. Yeah, it's everybody such a powerful a, everybody role. Everybody plays a role. Um, mm. This is community-wide society having to fess up that this is not good and we don't want any, you know, we want a pathway away from this as much as we can. So, um, yeah, so, so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's quite a defining moment. You think of defining moments that um, really reinforced my belief that we need to do better in this mm. space and that was it you know? yeah yeah that's uh i got um horrible <laughs> shivers when you told that story it's uh mm. i get emails from all sorts of people all around the world doing our um toxin reducing e-course that i've run since 2014 yeah and um just devastating stories of uh you know infertility for years and you know literally being told there's no hope um and how much anguish that couple would have gone through how much money they would have spent uh trying to do it artificially which of course is part of the conversation it's there is a place but at the same time when they do a $180 course with me and I teach them how to ditch everything and then three months later they're pregnant and I get invited to the birthday party at the first birthday saying, this is the lady who made our baby. And that's that's not to blow my trumpet. It's to say what's possible when we actually start to realign and how everybody can do that. And as you rightly said, the people on the land have the most powerful role of all because that's where it all starts. Yeah, well, this personal power because um, we we get um, we get kind of cluttered and confused about how much power we have as individuals, and the consumer has an enormous power mm. to change things by just buying product A versus product B. Um, it'll soon change because economics does. You know, farmers respond to economic signals. Um, but yeah, the trap, the entrapment is that we, as a society, we can't start forming industries around misery. Mm. <laughs> you know? No, exactly. Um, so we've we've got to, you know, always got to, um, you know, s- strive to do things more um, ethically. Um, but the other interesting element to all this is the the ability of your mind to actually heal and to overcome, you know. Our bodies are amazing. What we, what we trash it with, and it still functions reasonably well. It's amazing. And there's a there's a doctor over here that does a lot of work with burns victims, Dr. Fiona Wood. I oh, think. I love her. Yes. Oh, look, I've seen um, her speak. And and she she's going into an area of research and her team that's really exciting because it's not about so much the physical intervention, it's about the mental training of the mind to heal itself, mm. of to heal the body. And she, she recounted um, some stories where they, they call it the mirror box. They might have a, one hand that's burnt, one hand that's not, and they put these two hands in this kind of box and they, 
and suddenly the, the healing, the, the burnt hound heals quicker because mentally the, the mind is, is directing the healing from the good to the, mm. to the bad. And, and um, it's quite breathtaking. And, and for a scientist, it's quite breathtaking too because, you know, scientists have kind of, you know, um, <laughs> takes a bit to talk about these things with a scientist unless you're into the, you know, that realm of natural science. You understand it completely. Yeah. But if you're into the um, realm of constructural science and um, it's just off the planet stuff, but it is very powerful. And, um, yeah, so, you know, physically changing uh, your inputs, but also mentally being in a good space, you know, in the right space to actually drive it further and higher. Mm. It's, um, mind training is, is, is a very important component. Absolutely. um, As someone who's healed from chronic illness myself, mind training has been a huge piece of the puzzle. mm. Huge. So powerful. So important. Impossible to fully heal without, in fact. Absolutely. And this is where we get back to that concept of intent, um, cohesiveness, um, you know, that's going on. And there is quite a cohesive community around the planet that's sharing the same conversations and the same platforms that we do. And it's amazing how that's connecting up uh, at all levels. And, um, yeah, I've got a very good friend in, in Albany doing the geodesic dome with um, sound meditation and intentional meditation, not just relaxing, <laughs> actually intentional stuff, putting yeah. out positive energy um, to deal with planetary challenges. And putting it in in the first place, mm, into ourselves. Yeah. Yes, yes, and um, amazing experiences. So um, so I guess we come back to, uh, you know, where, where do we go? Obviously, we've, uh, we love to um, encourage consumers to su- support the regenerative movement, um, look for, the, look for um, quality in food, um, um, understand that, there's these nuances about food. There's there's that coming back to that quality issue, but that energetic side of food, mm. and, and you, you can kind of see that some in in some production systems, uh, food that lasts, you know, you know yes. has has a longer shelf life. It has a it has a battery of energy that's radiating out, and there's technology now that's starting to um, sense that and it's very exciting in the future because the consumer with the uh, the iphone will be able to go down the shopping aisle on the fresh food and veggies and scan that and pick out which one is actually more vibrant than the next one oh that's that's cool that's going to be a huge game changer that's going to really wake up agricultural practices because won't that create potentially more waste uh, it'll it'll force the system to take more uh, put more quality product there. Mm, yeah, in the first um, place. And look, there'll be price differentials. You know, obviously, yeah. you know, a trader's got a trade. At the end of the day, they can't be caught with a barrel of rotten apples. No. Or they're going to price discount. So their margin's going to be reduced and the consumer gets a better deal. Um, yeah. So, you know, this is the power of the consumer and... Um, because you know, pesticides and apples, I think there was a study in a canteen in England, there were 60 different pesticides and in, in an apple that have been sold through these school canteens. It's awful. Um, awful stuff. And mm. But you will 
technology will, will call it out. And, um, and the Woolies and Coles and the IGAs and all the Aldanis and stuff, you know, they would start, as they do, you know, Coles and Woolworth do invest. Um, they have um, funding programs for farmers to do things differently. Um, they will put more emphasis on getting better quality, more described product uh, and more point of origin description around that too. Like, uh, you know, that product is produced by this farmer and this farmer believes in these principles and this is their farm. You can have a picture of it. And, and in our case, we've, we've, we're quite advanced in, in incorporating vegetation across our system because we see the very important need of, of having uh, vegetation for wind control, habitat, but also when you come back to that brilliance of the soil, you've got the relationship between the fungi mm. in the soil that do scavenge and bring water and nutrients to those trees. So we, we've, we've actually um, purposely trying to encourage more fungi ratio to than bacteria because our systems are very bacterially orientated, so it's kind of not fully functioning. Um, the other very brilliant thing is I'll pose a question to your consumers when you when you look at a, a, a tree or a plant or something, how does it kind of manage that intelligence? And this is the next great question is, and when you go deeper into this, you've got to really appreciate that maybe that intelligence, they have their own computers as well. Mm. They, they have a consciousness as much as we do. And this has been proved, proven. There's a researcher in WA that's the Pavlo's dog experiment did that on plants and proved yeah. that plants have a conscious reaction to stimuli, um, a learned conscious reaction. You, you can not just like typically growing towards the sun, but actually associating a sound to a, a particular feeding mechanism and growing towards the sound in good time, <laughs> like the dog did with, to the ringing of the bell. Mm. Um, but the organisation of this intelligence, to my mind, sits, and this is the, the, we are, if you talk about what we are, we are, we're not all human, we're actually probably 30% bacteria, um, um, but water in that system is, is, is fundamental and it appears that the intelligence is organised and arranged and stored and retrieved from the water component of that exists. And wow. um, that's very yeah. exciting. That's really amazing stuff when you start looking into the research that's going on into that. Because um, water like, um, like a computer has, you know, we have a programming ones and zeros. Well, water has negative positive mm. and the organization of the negative and positive creates a pattern which stores a, a, a particular signal or um, intelligence so you know you got to give it to those plants they've been around for a while and they've got it nutted out they do they absolutely do <laughs> and as we've talked about yeah. all this um magic and what we don't want anymore and what we need to head towards, not just for our health, but the health of the planet itself mm. to keep functioning and prospering. The question for me comes down to how we uh, raise these issues effectively with local and state governments and, of course, eventually federal um, uh what can we do? Like, 
does it have to be farmers that lead this conversation and form almost lobby groups to <laughs> to uh, literally like go to politicians and say this has to happen uh, we are in trouble um, and and form an economic case for change on a on a wide scale um, everything from public health cost reduction to uh, improved resilience in the face of being dubbed the worst continent to live on in the face of climate change. I mm. mean, you know, like for me, if we don't get politicians behind us on this so we can go grassroots but also top down and then all around, mm. um, will we ever really achieve the progress we need at, this, at the rate at which we need it right now? Yeah, um, I guess everybody's got to see themselves as part of the problem, whether you're the farmer or the consumer, because um, uh, um, the, consu the consumer, to me, has a huge ability to go to their people's representative, the politician, and say, mm. this is important for me. This is important for our school, our community, and, and, and start to swing things towards doing it business differently and um, it's going to take a, a lot of communication it's going to take a lot of patience and peace because uh, confrontational change for um, the, uh, Mahatma Gandhi is a good example of peaceful change um, by, by getting into a space and saying look I'm, you know this is where I see it this is where I feel it um, and this is where I've we, we're going to go, I don't want violence to see this change. I want um, a peaceful recognition of the need for it. And he got his way. Now, mm. now, that was back then. Now, is the world different? Can we do that? I think yes, because we intuitively know what's right. Yeah. We are people that have an intuitive sense of what's right or wrong. And I know a lot of farmers who do trade in these and apply these products that are very toxic and they fully admit that. Uh, and they don't enjoy that, but they seem that, that they're, they're trapped in a system. But the, if they have a signal from a, a consumer um, support that we, we will back you, um, we'll put our we'll lobby pressure for a tax dollars, so to speak, to go into further R and D or system support or whatever um, to help you transition. You know, because mm. we are part of all this. You know, you grow the food, we buy it. Um, you know, it's you know, we're buying cheap and nasty, so we're encouraging you to produce cheap and nasty. Yeah. You know, um, this is the reality. It's like renewable energy. We all flick the switch on and off. We, we are part of the problem and we have to pay a little bit more if we want to go transition away from that. And in good time, it'll become cheaper than anything because mm. it, it, once it becomes a volume delivery. Um, so, yeah, a conversation, certainly networking with groups like the Cobra Group, that's Certified Organic Biodynamic Western Australia. I'm very heavily involved in that. Um, we try and facilitate dis discussion and pathways of um, to, to do exactly what you're suggesting is to kind of elicit change in a responsible and an open manner. And um, I guess it starts... Also, it depends what you and your values. You've got, to, you've got to put your hand up if you, and you've got to recognise truth and you've got to you know, be a little bit determined to, um, to, you know, uh, to see that and to kind of 
accept your fallacies, you know, your failings, and and say, look, I'm going to do better next time. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm on a farm here. My grandfather cleared it. There were thousands of tons of incredible trees up. all gone. Yeah, thousands yeah. of tons. He did that because there's a particular need in in society or his his need to feed his family. It all comes down to feeding families, ironically. Mm. But um, whatever everyone does, it's all about the family. So. Um, so thousands of tonnes of carbon are gone in the atmosphere and we as farmers might get paid to start putting that carbon back in the soil. But it's, you know, you know good luck to us. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, we've got to admit that he overcleared. We admitted that, look, Grandad, you went too far. Yeah. We've got salt, we've got wind erosion, we've got this. It's like, oh, my gosh. And it's, it's thankfully my brother and myself had it an opportunity as young young upstarts to actually put a put a system of farming in that we felt was very um, responsible and future proofing and um, it's always been organic we've never used um, broadacre chemicals um, for 40 odd years now we've been planting trees and putting water structures in uh, and now we've got this this oasis which it's got microclimate control. It's not perfect. It's if we had our time again with current learnings, we'd probably do things differently. But at least we've done something, yeah. and everybody can play their part and do something. And it um, really puzzles me that there's a lot of people with capacity, particularly farmers who make a lot of money, and they don't spend much on then the basis of that production. Mm. Seems like you're kind of pooping in your own nest. Yeah. Um, and why do you do that? Why do, why do you see something that works and not do it yourself? It's like it's, and that comes back to all that fascination about cultural change and yeah. why, why, do, why do humans be humans? <laughs> yep. We've got an enlightened side and we've got a real dark side and it's the yin and yang of that balance. It's really quite a fascinating thing to get. Yeah. You know, and right now it's that, that lizard brain that keeps us safe so-called safe that stops us from creating the changes that actually make us safer Um, (laughs) because safety is also in what you know. I mean, you know, we all say uh, someone who grew up with abuse unfortunately has a higher statistical chance of ending up in an abusive relationship themselves Mm. simply because that, that unconscious system sees it as safety in what you know which is devastating but it also helps us unpack Mm. how we get out of these um patterns and Mm. ways of of thinking that don't help us yes yeah no it's we're trapped in our sometimes we're trapped in our own body and our own mind but not um we do go to infinity you know uh and this is a beautiful thing um Infinity goes both ways. We always talk about affinity being out there and expansive and large, but it actually goes the other way into the mm. micro world. Yeah. And, um, like this farm, this, you know, a thousand hectares here. Um, if you took the surface area of this farm, um, it's probably bigger than the universe. <laughs> you know, it's a massive, it's a massive area. And um, once you start thinking in different you know, different contexts as, you know, information comes to you when you need it about the next step because it is a transition. You can't expect 
you can't go to an impoverished person on the street and say, you know, get a real job and be a, a doctor, you know. If they, they have to develop a, a, a sense of will, a, a sense of inner strength, purpose, uh, and they, they could become a doctor with the right support mechanisms. Um, but we, we do put a lot of expectations on people to transition very quickly. And I think we've got to understand there's, there is a step process and there's a support network that has to go around that physically and psychologically. And, um, and the huge support mechanism that could be put in place is uh, a market appreciation for people who produce good product, mm. who self-sacrifice, who choose not to be greedy, who don't choose to um, ego, you know, live a life of egoic, kind of achievement, um, but are humble uh, and choose to do the right thing um, peacefully. And um, there's no great, there's, organics obviously has a premium, but um, the next tier down, the kind of healthy, regenerative, chemical-free, non-certified food doesn't have much of a market mechanism to encourage people to do those practices. Mm. Well, I can say that our community is out there Mm. trying to connect to as much regenerative farming sourced food as possible. We mm. actively, I have people asking every day from mm. all over the place, uh, how can we find more farmers doing this? What questions can I ask? And it's one of the reasons I wrote a particular part of my new book on food um, mm. was literally like take these questions to your market mm. and kindly, you know, not out of a judgy um, you know, I'm trying to catch someone out sort of space because that's not helpful, but kindly and curiously ask about how things are done and how they're getting around pests and, mm. um, and you know, make friends, get to know where that food's coming from and you can yeah. quickly see who's got a deep understanding of, of biology and who doesn't. Yes. And, well, and that's fine, but that mm. guy's going to get the message that everyone's going over to that guy now because yep. that seems to be better. And then he's going to be thinking, uh, do you yep. reckon we should maybe look into that? And then they might go to that biodynamic seminar that Charlie Arnott or you or someone else out there is giving and, yeah. and, and away we go. And this is how, that's what I mean from asking you the political question, how mm. do we get the top-down piece? Because, you know, technically we should be, uh, subsidising farmers for changing to more future-proofing techniques, and yet that's not happening yet. Mm. Um, yeah, well, we, we could certainly start by opening up our uh, our educational um, sphere to these other system approaches. Mm. And that's that's not to say that the one system is better than another. Let people make that judgment because there's you, you've got to find your way with these things. Um, but at least least we've given we've been responsible to say that yeah you have a choice here and these these are the benefits and uh, and um consequences so to speak because this there's always this thing about farming where there is a benefit and um obviously benefit for someone who's chasing yield is to chuck a lot of inputs on and to kill every weed in sight and get paranoid about everything else and um it's just like genocide of the environment that's going on mm. Um, and the consequence of that is, yes, they can put their kids through school and they can have a big flash house, they can have a boat, all the things that probably not, you know, in terms of chattels, a lot of it we don't need, but anyway. Um, but the consequence is you've got no carbon, 
you blasted it out. You know, no-till um, is a transitional technology. It still needs improvement. Uh, no-till or min-till, because that came in to resolve a problem of farmers overworking the soil, which is a huge problem because mm. they overworked the soil because all they could do is grow crop. They could have been growing other things. They could have been, um, you know, growing, you know, like, say, trees and things like that. They didn't don't have to cultivate the soil when you grow trees and get your income from that. But they, the only income they had was wheat and they wanted to grow wheat every year because that's all they they could do and the only technology they had was to, to turn it over with a plough and so that was a disaster. Mm. The frequency and, and um, you know, and so no-till came in and resolved the problem for a while but now no-till is actually becoming a problem in its right, in own right because it's bringing in products that are, support that technology, you know, your, your GMO, your, your chemicals, um, your synthetics, yeah, they're even talking about putting plastic in the soil now to, to improve soil structure. It's like, my, oh goodness. my goodness, yeah. Or, or microwaving the soil. You know, are you serious here? You want to microwave all that life mm. to grow what? Yeah, and I'll tell you what, that plant's not going to be a healthy plant because it's you've just chopped its legs off, you know, chopped its it's it's communication to bacteria you know the, the microbes and things like that it's just crazy stuff but it science can prove it is feasible and you know people go out there and build a business around and then say this is the future of farming you know? yeah yeah and there's a lot to deal with with this is the future of food narratives um in the hyper corporatized yeah. space well space feed, yeah feed the world you know and mm. a lot of these well, why do you do this? Oh, we're feeding the world. Well, come on, let's have a reality check here. <laughs> Australia feeds, puts less than 3% of product on the world's plate. You know, what are you doing? Um, why, don't, why don't we feed the world fuel, liquid fuel from trees mm. or crop residue? The world needs energy. You know, mm. look, at, look at the price of fuel in the Bowser now. We, we could have been self-sufficient years ago if we had the right policy framework in place yes farmers, farmers could be growing integrated not all just tree farms you know like those systems you're talking about um with livestock grazing under you know in amongst tree belts and things like that and um yeah but yet and all we've um we, we seem to have to go backward a few steps to go forward and unfortunately <laughs> yeah um time is a very precious thing um yeah, outside of oxygen, it's probably our most limiting factor. And um, we, we have a habit of wasting it by staying in this state of denial. And, um, but, yeah, the, the young people can see it and um, we want to encourage them to be bold and, and um, you know, um, find, find their way and, and, and enjoy the abundance of this planet because it is a very an abundant planet. And, um yeah, this and is the that, future, future yeah, of farming. Yeah. That we have going for us, the abundance. And it's about doing everything we can as eaters, as voters, mm. uh, and everything in between to promote that. And uh, as much as I would love to keep talking to you all afternoon, <laughs> um, because it is an important topic, I do feel that mm. we have definitely showcased um so much for people to think about in terms of what we're fighting for when we change the way we eat um, yep. 
and what the potential is when we do that as well uh, for a much healthier world. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate your time, David. This was fascinating to dive into these concepts a bit more deeply. Um, You always learn a lot from a farmer. As I said at the start, they're my favourite conversations. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Well, in reality, I might be more of an ecologist than a farmer, but anyway, I'm an ecologist (laughs) that happens to have the responsibility of some farming land at the moment. So, yeah, no, look, I I greatly appreciate it. And um, shout out for your your book and information and your passion because... Um, it's 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 connection to that that's brought us to this moment, and I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to share some thoughts and and um, look forward to engaging with yourself and your 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 followers and um, yeah sharing the conversation and finding the way because that's uh, that's what we're here for yeah that's, exactly that's right what being all about. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at lowtoxlife or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at lowtoxlife. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lowtox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.